0: Welcome to the September two thousand and ten edition of Ordinary Means. I'm your host, Sean Nolan, here with Matt Bowling. Are you in the room, Matt? I am in the room. I am in the ether room. The ether room. We are meeting yes. in the ether room as we do. We are meeting
1: in the ether. Somewhere our electrons from these transmissions meet somewhere in the United States, somewhere in flyover country. I'm guessing. or did they, the Skype send everything to New Zealand and that's actually where it happens.
0: Well, you know what I'm just know. I'm excited that we are reforming the telephone lines or the cable lines of the United States, even as we go. Even as we go, the cable lines of the of the United States are being filled with good, solid reformed guys talking about who knows what How about Which, good stuff. Yeah, well, it is good stuff and and one of those good stuffs, that we're going to talk about is what we're going to talk about today, and um, that is why we like the PCA. Now, here's the thing. I get, you got to say this right off the bat, because if I don't say this right off the bat, all the Reformed Baptists and all of the... Um, we uh, love you! We love you. All the Pentecostals, all the... Um, the uh, second referential Baptists of the <laughs> congregational variety type, I don't know, who all the people that are not in the PCA that listen to us, which I guess is at least three of the six, um, are going to, going to turn it off. They're going to go, I don't really want to hear you guys. What we want to say, though, is our hope is to give you reasons to like your own denomination or non-denomination, as the case may be, as you hear us talk about um, the struggles in our denomination and the good things that are going on in our denomination, the PCA, which stands for Presbyterian Church in America, and uh, you know all that stuff because you've been listening to us from the beginning. Um, now, what sparked this? Um, well, maybe maybe before we get into what sparked this, uh, you had a comment before we came on and started recording, Matt, that I liked, uh, Jack Kinnear. Made a comment to you about the difference between the OPC and the PCA. OPC yeah, the being the a
1: guest, yeah. a guest that we've had on uh, the air, um, oh, a couple times at least three, at least three times, maybe four times, and. Um, he uh, formerly was a part of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, and one of the things that he said about the OPC coming to the PCA was, uh, we have all the tensions and all the camps in the in the OPC that you have in the PCA, we just have it spread out only over 200 churches instead of over 1,700 churches. So the strife that we have in the OPC um, is the same kind of strife that you guys have, it's just that it's a lot more concentrated. Uh, and I thought that was interesting, because ours is not very concentrated until you get to something like General Assembly and you try and do something like a strategic plan or have a conversation between you know two guys that that are perceived as being on really different pages about our denomination um, so anyways that 's just an interesting thing and it 's probably true. Um, I would say it 's probably true within Reformed Baptist circles, maybe less or so um, but certainly within say founders movement in the Southern Baptist Convention um, Certainly, um, a lot of camps within the OPC itself, uh, other small reform denominations in the U.S., um, and and even – I would say there's some divisions uh, even within Acts uh, 29 I'm surprised, not in divisions, but just in the differences. I know X-29 guys up and down the West Coast, and it's, it's real different how they go about things, say, in Southern California for an X-29 guy or Dallas or Charlotte than you would in Seattle, and that's just – there's a helpfulness, at least in terms of contextualization, um, that that I have found. But whenever you try and contextualize for where you are, that makes you different than other people. And sometimes, if you're different, well, then we just have to look at you sideways. Um, so, anyhow,
0: thank you for that. I'm I'm still getting over though. We have to look at you sideways, comment. I'm gonna be. I might. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna find a way to bring well, that back in. Well, we if we're
1: different, then it's the, that if we're different then we can't be close and we can't be doing the same kind of ministry. We yeah. don't look at it exactly the same.
0: And, and that is really, I mean, that's the attitude that sort of sparked this podcast. Um, there, there's a paper that was done at our General Assembly um, of the PCA. There was a paper that was done by Tim Keller, and it was done, uh, he wrote it, but then it was given in conjunction with, Uh, some comments made by Ligand Duncan, I haven't been able to find it. Have you found if his paper was ever published online? I couldn't find it. Okay, I'm going to try and find it. Okay. So you Um, keep talking. Okay, I'm going to keep talking. You try to find it. So Ligand Duncan, Tim Keller, perceived as uh, different ends of the PCA, you know, even south-north differences are contained in that. But uh, Tim Keller wrote this paper called Why I Like the PCA. And you know we should we should say this um, because I know we talk about Tim Keller a lot. We mention a lot of different guys a lot, and we should say uh, we don't necessarily endorse everything that all these guys do. Just because we talk about a guy that doesn't mean we're fanboys. Um, uh, that's only if I talk about Steve Jobs that you can refer to me as a fanboy. But beyond that, uh, you know, if I'm talking about Keller, there are things that Keller does. I love there are things that Keller does. I don't think I'd do it that way. Um, the same thing with Ligon Duncan. So, but I think what Keller's got in this paper is something that strikes a chord with both Matt and I in terms of, you know, Matt and I are different. This is something, maybe you maybe you think because we do a podcast that Matt and I agree about everything, but actually Matt and I are in many ways on different ends of the spectrum. I think it's one of the reasons we get along so well, or maybe we get along, maybe we're on different sides of the spectrum because we get along so well. I'm not sure how that. Works. Uh, we'll
1: have to figure that out. We'll have to figure that one out. We'll have to have a psychologist on or something. No. Yeah, we'll
0: do, we'll do. that. We'll have Dr. Laura on. And, well, and part and her of it too
1: in the midst of this podcast, for those of you who have been listening from the beginning, um, you'll know that it, in the beginning of this podcast, Sean and I ministered in the same kind of context, which was that we were both in southwestern Pennsylvania. Sean in a tiny bit more urban area than I'm. i in a more rural area. And about two and a half years ago, I moved to Seattle, and well, moving to Seattle is a little different than being in Pittsburgh. So it makes you ask and answer different questions than you do when you're in southwestern Pennsylvania. And that's produced some of the some of the difference I think um, between us. But that's that's life. That's ministry. That's even good.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, we, there's differences in us even in terms of personality.
1: Oh, for sure.
0: So, I, the, again. Opposites, opposites attract, right? So I think that's one of the reasons that we look at this uh, paper that Keller has done, and we'll, we'll um, link to it on the blog, and we say, you know what, I think he strikes a chord here of why our denomination is a good denomination to be in. And uh, we're hoping as we sort of, we're going to uh, lay this paper out for you and sort of give you the, the highlights. And I, I think this is why... Um, I'm so pleased with the PCA. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is why many of us can be happy in a denomination that does have division. I think, Matt, your point and Jack Kinnear's point was that you can't be in a group of people without a denomination. I like to say that you know, putting sinners together in a building to form a church is kind of like trying to put stuffed cats into a bag. Uh, somebody's going to get hurt. And that's, that's the way... Um, That's the way life in a church, life in a denomination is, is you've got sinners trying to work together and you've got judgment – you've got your Pharisees on one end of the spectrum who are looking at the – who are looking at the tax collectors and they're saying, man, I'm glad I'm not like you guys. You know, if we want to be a real denomination, we need to not be like those tax collectors. And you've got the tax collectors who are saying – um, you know, Lord, forgive us. We don't know how we're doing ministry. We're just trusting you, and um, they're not even necessarily thinking about the confessionalist Pharisees over there. Right. You know, you got your missional tax collectors and your confessionalist Pharisees, and where, where do the where do the twain never the twain shall meet? Um, But I think what Keller does is he says, well, the twain need to meet. In fact, because we're in such a big denomination, and again, this is something I've said probably a million times on this podcast, is that the greatest strength of the PCA is also its greatest weakness, and that is that it's broad. Mm -hmm. The PCA incorporates a lot of people, and and it welcomes a lot of people. And it, it puts confessional standards on its leadership, but in terms of its membership, being a member in a PCA, you you only have to be a Christian. Whatever kind of Christian you are, however you label your Christianity, whether it's Baptist Christianity or Presbyterian Christianity or Christianity Christianity, you can you're welcome in a PCA church. And what that does is that creates a broadness that is wonderful, but at mm-hmm. the same time it's that broadness uh that that creates these distinctions and starts the fights
1: right so what what is uh yeah <laughs> what's helpful um is also painful
0: yeah yep. yeah well i mean it's always going to be hard to work together teamwork is never easy um you know i mean i think Without saying anything else about our strategic plan that the PCA just came up with, um, the thing that encouraged me, I was at General Assembly this year, and I served on a committee uh, that worked all week long called the Overtures Committee, and this is the committee that deals with all of the um, requested changes to our Book of Church order that come in from the presbyteries. It goes through this uh, sort of super committee made up of men from every presbytery in our denomination. And I was a part of that this year. It was exhausting. But at the same time, every year that I've been a part of this committee, it's it's sort of reinstated my faith in the PCA because it says, you know what, we have a lot of guys that are willing to work together on all ends of the spectrum. Which is,
1: to some people, there's an alternative paper out there that we'll link on the blog by Daryl Hart. To some people... That's actually to violate the very principle of having a denomination. That for some people, having a denomination means that we have a very narrow circle around us and that that's the virtue of it, is that we um, that we have a narrow circle and that that's what's good about it. Well, I think – Keller's perspective in his paper, when you read it, you'll find that what he's saying is actually something that's very narrow is unchecked. It doesn't – it doesn't embody the tensions that are genuinely there in the scriptures between different things we could emphasize. And so what you do is you actually lose um, the ability. What Keller talks about, that we, we haven't cut off one of our branches. Um, so, for example, it, Keller brings out the, the New Life Churches and the OPC. Um, and they essentially were made unwelcome and they all came into the PCA. Where that was one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most lively things about the OPC in that era. And it's a great loss to the OPC that they lost those churches. Some of the men in the OPC don't view it that way. They thought there were an aberration within the OPC because it was more of this pietist feel to it instead of a doctrinalist feel. And they thought that was a great detriment. So they were made to feel unwelcome. Where in the PCA... Yeah, it's tense because we have doctrinalists and pietists and culturalists, and yeah, we bring different emphases to the table. We see things differently. But on the other hand, you got people that are genuine Christians who are brothers who get around the same confession. They go, no, we should be emphasizing this. And um, that's useful to keep us thinking and realize that there are genuine tensions that are there.
0: We know, Matt. Uh, Matt, I think I think we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because sorry. I know our listeners have not read this paper. Maybe some of them have. I think okay. we need to explain some of these terms. I uh, just before we do that, I just sorry. want to respond with one comment to something you just said, uh, just to agree with you. Um, if you look at the scripture, ask yourself how much the New Testament talks about striving for unity. Mm-hmm. And how important that is, and what that tells you is that unity is not natural. Unity mm-hmm. cannot be created in the mm-hmm. church; it has to be striven for, strived for. Okay, I'm I'm my verb conjugation today is horrible. Um, we have to we have to go after unity. We have to mm-hmm. really work at unity. We have because. Unity really is just the outworking of loving your neighbor as yourself and accepting the fact that your neighbor is not you. And your neighbor might have sins that offend you. And you know what? You have sins that offend your neighbor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so how do we work together? And I think that's where this paper strikes that chord, is what does unity look like? Okay, so... what what Keller does is Keller sets up his paper by by giving us what he calls the three branches of the PCA, and I think what you're going to find is these three branches exist within any reform denomination, and possibly in some form within any denomination or any group of churches, any mm-hmm. any interdenominational non-denomination, um, and. Th- It's George Marsden's terminology that he gives, and and Keller admits the terminology is a little bland, but it's good terminology. And so these are the three things. So let me give the three, and then – He
1: says they're slightly negative.
0: Yeah, they are slightly negative, which – well, I think Keller would rather they be positive. Because what he does is he puts a positive spin on each of them. So let's, let's give the three and let's define each of the three, and then let's talk about what would happen if you were to cut one of these three out of our denomination, and you'll see why Keller likes, and I, and I think the spirit of why we like the PCA. Okay, The first one is doctrinalist, the second one is uh, the pietist, and the third is what uh, Marston calls the culturalist. Okay, so let's define these. Let's start with the doctrinalist. I think this is probably the easiest guy to deform. Uh, to deform, <laughs> you know what? we're going to leave Before that in. Slip, we're not going to. We're it, not going right? to cut that out. We're just going to leave that in. Um, uh, Matt, you tell us about the doctrinalist.
1: Yeah, so the doctrinalist is a person who's probably going to be very interested in a denomination being um, what I would call narrowly confessional. Sound. The, that, yeah, sat very sound doctrinally, and that's what we ought to emphasize, and that's what we ought to shoot for. So the ideal church is where people are, are trained doctrinally. And this is a, – a, doctrinal, a doctrinalist would probably be somebody who's actually maybe even a little uncomfortable that the PCA only requires a profession of faith in order to be a member. They would be somebody that would train members, say, for example, uh, in the Westminster Confession of Faith before they become members of the church because they'd prefer that people were actually confessional to join a church as it is in some other Reformed denominations. Um, and so for these folks, the end goal is that we be confessional, that we – that our doctrine is – is um, is very much in accord with the Confession.
0: It's orthodox. You're going to hear the term orthodox used yep. quite a bit coming and from it. And these, a, these a are dro- the folks that would, have,
1: that would have preferred a sort of a full subscription in, in that debate of a few years ago in the PCA. They would have preferred a full subscription sort of resolution to that problem instead of a, a, a good faith subscription, which is where we ended up.
0: Well, which is where we've always been. I mean, that was... That yeah, was absolutely. The, the issue there was, are we going to allow pastors to take exceptions to the Westminster Confession of Faith, um, which we've always done. right. And so essentially what that vote said is, well, just continue to do what we've always done, which is allow exceptions on a presbytery by presbytery basis, as long as they don't strike at the vitals of the confession. Right, so, right. So uh, I think we've talked about that before on the podcast, so I don't think that idea is too foreign- to our listeners, if it is, you know, ask us a question on the blog. Um, mm-hmm. Now, the, so that's the doctrine list. Now, admittedly, we're we're presenting broad stroke here. Uh, a lot of most people are going to see themselves in at least two of these three categories, but
1: mm-hmm. uh, partially, yeah, partially.
0: Yeah. But you're you're gonna you're gonna sort of land, or you're gonna rest, or you're gonna sit in one or the other. Okay, so the second one would be the um, the pietist. And this this may be a little tricky term. Um, this is this sort of comes out of uh, I think the way the modern listener would understand this most. Uh, Matt, you and I were both involved with Campus Crusade. Campus right. Crusade was a pietistic uh, right. organization. There was a an, a strong emphasis on quiet times, on personal religion, on um, self So if, you were, to, if,
1: you, if yeah. you were to grab an author today out there in the Christian world who would tend in this direction, and, and I love this author, so this is not a slam on this author. Um, this would be um, John Piper. So intensely personal experience with God, that is the goal. All right? Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that uh, in and of itself, um, left only to itself, it is a problem, which is why Keller's perspective I think is appreciable. And Keller actually places himself there, interestingly enough,
0: in the Pietists. In the Pietists, yeah. now the, and well, this is because of his dependence and his love for the Puritans. Yes, and and that's also any anybody if you any pastor that you walk into there. Library and they have all of the Puritan paperbacks on their shelf. They're probably a Pietist because mm-hmm. the the Puritans really pushed uh, personal piety, personal right. um, uh, personal renewal. And there's then there's no, renewal wrong with is one that. Of, yeah, right. There's nothing yeah. wrong, well, see, and that's the thing is there's nothing wrong with any of these three. It's, right. it's when one of the three turns on the other one. And we'll, t- we'll talk about that in a minute. Let's get the, right, the third right. one out here. Third one is the culturalist. And this is, you're going to hear uh, terms here like uh, missional. You're going to hear terms, you, you know, the big term you're going to hear is, is kingdom. You know, we just finished this series on uh, two kingdoms versus transformationalists. Uh, these are the people, the people who are falling into these camps are going to be the culturalists. People who like Anglicans. <laughs> Are going to be the culturalists. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, which is funny because I mean, I, I think I fall more into the pietistic, but I there are some Anglican guys that I really do appreciate, right? And so, and so I've got some I've got some tastes for the culturalist on my tongue,
1: right? Yep. You
0: want to add anything to that?
1: Well, and I think the culturalists, interestingly, the way that um, um, the way. That Keller does them is that the culturalists, and this will sound odd to some of our hearers, but the culturalists go from federal visionists to urban hipsters. In that both of them, their their greatest concern, although they're going at it very differently... You know, sort of a dominion theology, if you were in an urban, black urban setting, a kingdom now theology, all the way to, you know, and and infiltrate and turn over everything in culture from the inside. Those are all culturalist positions. Now, they're very divergent culturalist positions, but they're very much culturalist positions.
0: So you actually have, if we were to picture this as a three-branched tree— with the doctrinalists and the Pietists and the culturalists, you would also have off of each of these branch branches, big branches, smaller branches, representing the variations within each of these branches. Yeah, the variations on the theme. Yeah. So, so the it's very it's very complex, but I like the way um, this is. I just came up with this before we uh, started recording, but really, what Keller is presenting here. Is what we have in the U.S. government. It's it's a three-branch system of checks and balances, mm. and what mm-hmm. what Keller's argument is is that the doctrinalists keep everybody orthodox, and the Pietists uh, keep everybody uh, sound, passionate. passionate, and of of good practice, and the culturalists keep us all looking outward, and so. If you were, to, uh, as Keller puts it, if you were to cut off one of these branches, then you would actually find the tree leaning in, a, in an unhealthy direction and in an imbalanced direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, what struck me, um, again, the strategic plan is fresh in our mind, uh, that was voted on at the, at the PCA General Assembly, many of the votes related to that strategic plan were very close you know, like 40%, 60% type of votes. But it was very interesting to see who was voting which way on what. And there, was a, there were a lot of cases where you would have a strong doctrinalist and a strong culturalist voting against something that the pietists liked. Yes. That's and a great point. Whereas in the past, we've seen a lot of votes split down these three ways in the PCA. Mm-hmm. those votes were much more mixed up uh, this time around with, with the votes on the strategic plan. And I, why that is, all the complexity of why that is, I don't, I don't think we have the time to go into that now. I don't think I fully understand. There's still a lot of uh, blogging going on, a lot of guys that are writing articles sort of thinking about now that this has happened, where is the PCA going? And, and, and that's what this article is it an attempt to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is part of the let's, let's unify. Let's see how we can work together. Okay. How does the document well, list?
1: Let's st- I think it's a little bit stronger than that, Sean. It, I think that it's let's stay together because staying together helps my liabilities, whatever camps I'm in, be checked by other people who have strengths where I have liabilities. It's, it, to stay together is an admission of humility that I don't have all the answers, that there are genuine tensions, that I bring biases to the table, and that it's good for me to keep thinking about everything perpetually.
0: Now, now I want to add to that, because I was sitting uh, during our General Assembly, I was sitting next to a fellow who used to be in the United Presbyterian Church, and he went through uh, all of the difficulties as the United Presbyterian Church uh, moved away from orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. And you know, and got to that point where they would not ordain anyone who would not ordain a woman to ministry. Right. And you know, they've even gone even farther now uh, as the PCUSA. And um, so he he was looking at all of this that was going on at our general assembly from that perspective. And so I think yeah. it's it's wise to say, okay, if somebody, if there's a group of people in our denomination asking. Uh, you know asking to help create a vision but also reminding us we've got to stick together that that can be a red flag it can be it can yes. be but let me let me show you how it needs to not be every every one of us needs to say um, we need to stick together with orthodoxy and and if we ever lose orthodoxy as a denomination, whatever denomination you're in, if right. we ever lose orthodoxy, that's when we're going to begin jumping ship. Yeah, absolutely. But we also need to stick together.
1: And I think almost everybody in the PCA would jump ship if we lost orthodoxy.
0: Uh, yeah, I I think so. I think at this point that's the case. Um, From here's here's
1: here's why, Sean. I think the people who've lost orthodoxy recognize that they're on the wrong ship and so they leave there are a few who've been more doctrinalist than wanted to be and have gone to the OPC there are a few who have been more pietist and they've gone independent there are a few that have gone that are more culturalist and they've either gone to more liberal denominations or more narrowly reformed denominations so in a sense, the people that can't live with the tensions that are there and are pining for something else, they usually accept themselves. Accept, ex, they remove themselves, uh, and that's happened with regularity in recent years.
0: It has, it has, and yeah. and if it doesn't happen, there is judicial process. Right now, I I think I think you're right. I think most of the churches in the PCA, I'm not gonna say all. Would jump ship if we lost orthodoxy, yeah. But, but you always get to that place of losing orthodoxy slowly. So you, you got to watch out. You, you got to keep your keep your yep. f- keep your antenna up. But at the same time, why wouldn't we also jump ship if we lost our piety? Yes. You know, do you really want to stay in dead orthodoxy? Right. Would we? Would we lo- jump ship if we gave up? The mission of spreading the gospel to our neighbor and to the world mm-hmm. because it seems to me if we 're not if, if we 're not doing missions locally mm-hmm. and worldwide uh, not, i 'm not talking about not just writing checks i 'm talking about each church in the pCA being active in serving its community in reaching its community and the lost in its community if we 're not doing that um and if that's not a foundational principle of our denomination, which it is of our denomination, it is. Then I wouldn't want to live in a denomination that has that's orthodox and tells everybody to read their Bibles, but never reaches out. Mm-hmm. You know, our our uh, church's motto for uh, the church that I pastor is reaching out. And growing deep, it's this image of a tree that mm-hmm. a tree is is growing in two directions. That it's growing, Lord willing, Lord willing, <laughs> a tree is growing in two directions. It's growing deep; the roots are getting bigger as as they as they soak up the word of God, um, and the the branches are moving out as we as we reach the world, reach into the world and the community around us. So, um, you've got. Both there, maybe you've got the doctrinalism of the roots, and you've got the culturalism of the branches and the leaves of the piety. There you go. But we need all these parts, mm-hmm. and and I, I recognize that any one of these, somebody who who falls in one of these categories more than say the other two, is going to find offense at times. But that's good because yes. when you when you get offended by your pietistic or your doctrinalist or your culturalist brothers then what you do is you go to them and you say that offends me and they go oh well maybe i'm being a little bit too pietistic mhm you know or too doctrinalistic or too so it's mm-hmm. it creates a balance that we need to have
1: absolutely and and i think that this is something that that if you Narrowly construct yourself in one camp. So say you're a pietist, and you're like, why are all these people an- annoyed about all of this theological stuff? Can't we just love Jesus and go love people? I love having people like that around. Because it reminds me, yeah, it's nice to have our theological ducks in a row, but that's not the end goal. And when you've got the, the culturalist talking to the pietist, and the culturalist is going... Hey, would you get off of your quiet time every day and go do something? The pietist is reminded, oh, I'm not here for me just to have a wonderful experience with God. I'm here to be on a mission. I'm here to to do something. And the doctrinist comes along and says, well, what are you going to say? And the doctrinist helps us have a robust, theologically orthodox gospel that we go forth with from hearts that burn with with love for God. It's, it, to me, it's the marriage. Um, when Sean and I were first talking about this, doing this podcast, I was like, I'm all three. And people <laughs> look at me and they go, what?
0: You want to be how all could you, three. How
1: could, be, how could you be all three? And I said, because I've read enough of the scriptures and thought enough and, and tried to educate myself broadly enough, tried to be charitable enough with brothers who would be solidly in each of these camps to go, You've got something really important to say there. I, I need to think about that more. I need to stop talking past you. Um, because I think that if we don't have elements of all three of these in our own theology, in our own church's um, vision, mission, goals, how we go about it, whatever you want to call it, if these things aren't all within scope for a church, for a believer... For a set of leaders for a church, there's something missing because they're all in scope biblically. Um, so yeah, I think we need all three. I I, I need them personally.
0: Well, and that's a, a real practical way we could apply this is we could say if, if you're if you're listening to this and you are in ministry, um, do you have mentors? Whether it's living people or or people who've written books in times past, do you have mentors in all three of these categories?
1: Hmm. Good.
0: And I if like you're it. if you're not a minister, if you're just a, a, a person in the congregation, which is a wonderful thing to be, I there are many times I wish I was just a person in the congregation. <laughs> just
1: um, to be just a person in the
0: congregation. Uh, let's just think uh, let's just think uh, for a moment. Uh okay we're done with that thought. Okay. Um, all right so, so we're done with moving that. Moving back, but if are you, do you have mentors that are helping you to have solid theology, uh, rich piety, and, and an outward view, a reaching out view, uh, of the power of the gospel to change lives? Man, that's, that's a beautiful thing.
1: It is. It's an absolutely beautiful
0: thing. I mean, I think that um, right there makes this paper worth reading.
1: Absolutely. And, and it to me, People that would be averse to this paper and averse to it, uh, which you might be. You might listen to our podcast and you might go, hey, I thought you guys were doctrinalists. What happened? I thought you guys were ordinary means guys. What happened? Why are you, you know, throwing your lot with people that are not ordinary means? Um, I think that one of the things – Sean and I were talking about this before the podcast. One of the things that happens is that we end up talking past each other. Um, I'm quite familiar with what Tim Keller does in New York. Um, And there's not somebody that I'm aware of who is more of an ordinary means of grace guy than Tim Keller. Uh, People look at me like, what? He's interested in all the stuff they do, mercy ministry and stuff with the poor and justice and planter, all this. How can you say he's ordinary means? Look at the week in and week out for a congregant at that church. They go to church on Sunday and they hear a good sermon. They go to a community group and they discuss the sermon they pray, they tell people, you know, practice the spiritual disciplines, the Donald Whitney version, um, and, uh, and go serve your community. Go love your neighbor. And sometimes that takes individual form, sharing the gospel with somebody. Sometimes that takes a more of a community form. You know, go think about the poor in your community. That's it. There's not a lot to it. Tim Keller does an ordinary means of grace ministry. Uh, he's not doing all of these fancy kinds of programs. When we talk about ordinary means of grace, we're, we're reacting to something that is very, very programmatic in the way that it tries to go about doing ministry in a place. And we're after something that's a lot more simple, that's a lot more centered on the Word, that's a lot more focused on the gospel, and that's affecting people's lives. And then as their lives are affected, that they go out and they're, they're used by God as they spread the gospel uh, in the community. So I think we need to be careful not to talk past each other. And if this paper is – and if you're averse to this paper, I'm wondering where the tension point is. And maybe you can put those in the comments on the blog for us and let us know, um, you know, why do you think that Tim and Leg are wrong? Um, Because I I think they're right. And they really are in different places in the PCA in terms of what they emphasize. Um, But I like them both.
0: Now, you mentioned criticisms and you said that probably the criticisms are coming from somebody that falls into one of these branches. Um, there is uh, another criticism that I've heard. And this was in that uh, article by Daryl Hart that you referenced earlier. Um, he argues that what Keller does in striving for unity, um, Keller presents sort of a, in this paper, a here's the here's the five or six things that we can all agree on. Um, why you know, why can't we all get along? Uh, Hart sees that as a kind of new fundamentalism. Now, you know what fundamentalism did. Fundamentalism was uh, in the midst of Um, liberalism, fundamentalism came in and said, well, no, 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 we've got to hold on to the truths. Here are the ten truths we've got to hold on to. And the next year it was six truths, and the next year it was four truths, and eventually, and unfortunately in our culture, it became whether or not you wear lipstick or drink alcohol was whether or not you were a fundamentalist. Um, So it's, it's unfortunate, the move of fundamentalism. But at base, the original fundamentalism was a good thing. Right. It was saying, here are the things we agree on. Now, Keller sets out forth some of that in this paper, but essentially he he's saying, what we agree on is the Westminster Confession.
1: And, and what we agree on, and this would be different, see, Hart, I think, would prefer something that would be narrow, what I'm going to call, just for lack of a better term, um, narrowly confessional. That... that being confessional is one of the prime goals that we ought to have as a denomination, where Keller, I would say, is broadly confessional. in, in the way that, that that would be conceived of in terms of denomination is even though we're a confessional denomination, and it's, it is, this is what we believe the Scripture teaches, and this is a good summary of it. And I don't know of a PCA minister in any of these three camps that is not enthusiastically um, in favor of the Westminster Confession. As a good summary of what the Scripture says, would you say things maybe a little bit different in the course? Would you add some things that weren't in there? Of course. They were culture-bound, right? But as a good summary of what the Scripture teaches, I don't know anybody who's not enthusiastic about it. But for someone who's a system subscriptionist, who doesn't view the PCA as narrowly confessional, as though being confessional is the goal, but broadly confessional – a broad, broadly confessional person looks at it and says, yeah, I think this is a good summary of this, what the Scripture teaches. And it's a tool in our bag as we go forward serving the Lord in our community and in our world. It's a tool that we use that's useful to us in summarizing the Scriptures as we go out on the mission that God's called us to. As we obey the great commandment and we go forth in the great commission. So the confession is not the end goal. It's a tool in the bag as we go about doing ministry. And that is a difference.
0: And that's how, yeah, we go forward with an ordinary means methodology. That's our piety. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Relying on confessional orthodoxy, there's our doctrinalism. Mm -hmm. Um, In the power of the gospel to save those in our communities and in the world. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's the culturalist. Right. So, yep. so take a look at this paper. We, we recommend it to you. We're going to p- put a link up there on the blog. You've probably already seen that link. If you're listening to this podcast, uh, feel free to comment on the blog and let us know, uh, what you think. how this paper strike you? Do you, uh, you agree with us? You disagree with us? Uh, is this useful in your denomination or your church group? Um, encourage you to take, uh, some of the truths here and apply them in that broad way. Um, that all of us might really begin uh, to live more out of a balanced doctrinal pietistic culturalism Uh, (laughs) and that we might love the Lord through all of that and that we might pursue him daily through his ordinary means of grace. Thanks for listening.